Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for today and for the opportunity that we have, Father, and the privilege that we have in this country to gather together in your name, Lord. And Father, may we never take that for granted, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that um, as we, Father, as we come together uh, just to honor your name this morning, that you would help us to be able to focus and fix our eyes upon you and that we would be able to receive whatever you would have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
thank you, Lord, that you are in the waiting. Thank you, Father, that your mercies are new each morning. Thank you, Father, that you've purposed each one of us for this generation. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us, that we would be encouraged, Father, through your word this morning. I pray, God, that we would have a desire to seek more of you. Your word says that if we seek you, we will find you. If we seek you with our whole heart, I pray, God, that you would awaken us to the urgency of the hour. Lord, that we would go forth and, and bear your image, Father, declaring your gospel, the good news, serving others and encouraging others, God. That we would see captives set free, Lord. The blind eyes would be opened, that the deaf would hear your spirit is saying, Father. As I prayed earlier, I pray, Father, that your bride, the church, throughout the world would awaken to her destiny. That we would be preparing for your return. God, that we wouldn't continue to be enslaved to bondage to our past to insecurities that God that we would be a liberated people that yet though Father the weapon may be forged against us it shall not prosper that we God would burn brightly in this darkened world that we would prepare our hearts daily Father that we would trust you above all knowing God that you are for us and you're not against us so Lord I pray as we open your word today that our hearts would be of good soil to receive God that it would not be snatched up or Father that it would bring conviction and motivate us God to to really look in the mirror intently and not forget who we are. But as believers, our identity is in Christ and in Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Psalm 34, verse 14. Turn from evil and do good. Seek for peace and work hard to maintain it. There's our scripture of encouragement throughout this year. A small one, yet though a powerful one. To really awaken us to truth. How are we living?
turning from evil and doing good, seeking for peace and working hard to maintain it. Again, as with all scripture, it needs to be applied to our lives. We're meditating on truth, that we're allowing the truth to set us free. So I want to look at a few scriptures before we get into walking through the Bible. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 through 23. God's ambassadors. It says here in verse 11 of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. And I would encourage you to highlight that, to underline that. So that that be a challenge for you this week. As you're turning from evil and doing good, as you're seeking peace and working hard to maintain it, that your lives are being transformed. And in this transformation, we have to understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. We are to be working hard to persuade others. It says, God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us. So you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. So we understand our fearful responsibility before the Lord. We're working hard to persuade others. And that could be just how we're living, how we're talking, how we're serving. And we're not trying to build a spectacular ministry without having a sincere heart. So what is the motives of our heart? To turn from evil and to, good, to do good, to seek for peace, to work hard, to maintain it. Our heart needs to be sincere. Our motives are to be sincere. It says, it seems, if it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God and if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. That's another one I would highlight and encourage you to meditate upon out this week, throughout this week. That Christ's love should be controlling us. The love of God. His faithful love that endures forever. That he loves us, he loves us first, yet though we are in complete rebellion towards him, God loves us. And nothing can separate us from his love. It is his love that compels us to be drawn to him. And we recognize that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so if we're Christians, and if we have this truth, then Christ's love should be controlling us. And it's in that love that we turn from evil, that we long to do good, that we're seeking for peace, and we're working hard to maintain it. This goes on. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Are you dead 
to the old man, to the old woman. What is still lurking within you? You are to consider yourself dead. You've nailed those passions. You've nailed those desires. You've nailed the old self to his cross. You have been born again, afresh and anew. You have been brought out of darkness and to his marvelous light. You're turning from evil. You're doing good. You're seeking for peace. And you're working hard to maintain it. goes on here. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. And so again, how are we to live? Not for ourselves. We are to consider others before we consider ourselves. Our life is not our own. Jesus is our example. He came not to be served, but to serve. And so is that your desire each and every single day? To serve. To give. When we're so consumed with ourselves, when we're so consumed with everything <coughs> that pertains to us, we miss it. And when we're consumed with self, all we know is evil. And we have no peace. It is when we fully grasp the fullness of Christ and the newness of life that we can live. That we can turn from evil and do good. Seek for peace and work hard to maintain it. He says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Yeah. Application is vital to the Christian life. Again, we've heard it over and over, but if we're only hearers of the word, there's never going to be transformation taking place in our lives. And remember, we're not going to be perfected until we're with him, but we ought to be maturing. <laughs> this new life has begun. The old is gone. When we seek him and ask him, how are we to live now? How are we to think now? Because we're, we're supposed to be taking thoughts captive and bringing them into the obedience of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We're to learn now how are we to be living. We're to get rid of the insecurities, the hurt, the pain, all the junk, and put it aside, knell it to the cross. We've been forgiven. We've been freed. There is a way in which we are to live, and we are to live as one who has been born again. And all of this, it goes on, is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Each of us, as believers, as Christians, we've been born again and we've been given this task to reconcile people back to him. 
For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. And here's the message. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, Come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Not following rules, not following laws, but following Christ. This is our message. This is what you all should be sharing to others day in and day out. And the Bible says if people don't want it, then move on. But this should be what is consuming us and what we ought to be sharing day in and day out. This is all we know. This is all we are now. We're in Christ and we're messengers. And so I want to ask us and encourage us, how have you been sharing the gospel? How have you been out there reconciling people to God? Talking to people, encouraging people, turn to God. Come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The hope that is found in Jesus. And we ought not to be those who are just keeping it to ourselves or those who, are not, who, who aren't sharing the hope that we have. Because the hope that we've been given hasn't just been given just for us but it's been given to us so that we can share, can tell others. Not just, just to go along with others, not just pat people on the pack and coddle them, but no, to be genuinely sincere, in love, pleading with them to come back to God, to know their God. Go to Galatians chapter 2. Verse 20 through 21. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Again, encouragement for us all to reckon ourselves dead, but alive in Christ. To turn from evil and to do good. To seek for peace and to work hard to maintain it. Not just being a hearer of the word, but being a doer of the word. Your old self has been crucified with Christ. And do you see that as truth for your life? Throughout your days. Because when you recognize that, you won't be easily frustrated or angry or consumed 
that you'll learn to remain humble and to look for others, to serve others, to think of others before you think of yourself. Because it says, so I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me. His great love. How are we living now trusting in the Son of God? And are we doing that? Can we sincerely say yes, that that's what we're doing? Like, do you know that you're trusting in the Son of God every <coughs> single second of every hour of every day? And if not, then again, it's not the shame and the condemnation and the, like, the weird things that we do when we're in our flesh. No, we just feel the conviction to go, no, God, but I desire to. Give me that desire we have not because we've asked not. So are you asking God for a greater love for him? For a greater awareness of the urgency of the day and the hour in which we live. And that we will not treat his grace as meaningless, as nothing. That we recognize it's not about keeping law. It's not about following rules, but it's following Christ. And another question before us today is, are we just wanderers? Or are we followers? Are we just wandering around aimlessly lost? Unsure of who our God is? Or do we truly know Him? And are we following Him? Are we trusting Him? Go to 1 Peter. Chapter 2. It's one we read last week. But I want to bring it before us before we start walking through the Bible with our scriptures in Exodus. We'll go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. And I want to encourage you all, if you're not having a devotional time for yourself, you need to start. You need to mature to a place where you're sitting down, you're opening the Bible. You're reviewing the scriptures that we've gone through. You're praying through them. You're allowing the conviction of the Holy Spirit to, to be stirring us up into growth and to maturing. And if you look at verse 9, look what it says here. But you are not like that, those who have rejected Christ. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. A holy nation. God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others, look at this, the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you receive God's mercy. So dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wages war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. How do you see yourself? Remember, you are a new creation. You need to grow in this knowledge of Christ. You need to grow in this new identity. You are to see yourself set apart. Not blended in with the world, but set apart. 
and in being set apart, there, there's a task that has been given to you to go forth and be his messenger, to go forth to be his ambassador, to go forth and be part of his priesthood, to be part of his holy nation. God, I love this, God's very own possession. And because of all of this, it says, and as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. To turn from evil and to do good. To seek for peace and to work hard to maintain it. Go to Exodus chapter 29, verse 1. And we're reading through chapter 30, verse 10. priest, Aaron and his family, his sons, are being set aside. Remember, as we're walking through the Bible, the whole purpose of doing this is my, my prayer is, is that we would draw closer to our God. That we would truly see him for who he is. He's all powerful. He's sovereign. You know, he, there's nothing wrong with God. We, we, we can't blame God. God has done all he needs to do to reveal himself to mankind. It's not God with the stiff arm against mankind. It's mankind stiff arming God, saying, you're not God. And if that's how people are living, then they're going to have to endure his wrath. And that's why I keep encouraging us. Why would we choose to endure his wrath when we can receive such great love? That's what he's prepared for us. And are we walking in the fullness of that knowledge? To truly trust in him. To honor him. To live for him. Knowing that as he was rejected in this world, so we will be rejected. Because there will be those who will never come to Christ. And the level of, of darkness, the level of of vileness and perversion and anger and strife and all this other junk it's on an increase and we know it's going to increase the love of many are going to it's going to grow cold there's going to be such rebellion and, and craziness as the days are drawing closer to his return and so how are you personally preparing your heart and knowing that and preparing others by encouraging them to come to God, to return to God. Even back here, when he, when he set apart the Israelites as his own, his purpose was to bring the Messiah, Jesus, through this group of people that were set apart. And we're learning through their lives how, who our God is. <clears throat> And here we see, look at the detail that he does here to set the priests apart for himself. He's dedicating them. He says, this is a ceremony you must follow when you consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Remember, this is God's instruction. Take a young bull and two rams with no defects. Then, using choice wheat flour and no yeast, make loaves of bread, thin cakes, Thin cakes mixed with olive oil and wafers spread with oil. 
place them all in a single basket and present them at the entrance of the tabernacle along with the young bull and the two rams. Present Aaron and his sons at the entrance of the tabernacle and wash them with water. Dress Aaron in his priestly garments, the tunic, the robe worn with the ephod, and the ephod itself on the, and the chest piece. Then wrap the decorative sash of the ephod around him. Place the turban on his head and fasten the sacred medallion to the turban. Then anoint him by pouring the anointing oil over his head. Next, present his sons and dress them in their tunics. Wrap the sashes around the waist of Aaron and his sons and put their special head coverings on them. Then the right of the priesthood will be theirs by the law forever. And this way you will ordain Aaron and his sons. Bring the young bull to the entrance of the tabernacle where Aaron and his sons will lay their hands on its head. Then slaughter, slaughter the bull in the Lord's presence at the entrance of the tabernacle. Put some of its blood on the horns of the altar with your fingers and pour out the rest of the, uh, at the base of the altar. Take all the fat around the eternal, internal organs, the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat around them, and burn it all on the altar. Then take the rest of the bull, including its hide, meat, and dung, and burn it outside the camp as a sin offering. Next, Aaron and his sons must lay their hands on their head of one of the rams. Then slaughter the ram and, sp and splatter its blood against all sides of the altar. Cut the ram into pieces and wash off the eternal organs and the legs. Set them alongside the head and the other pieces of the body. Then burn the entire, entire animal on the altar. This is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a special gift presented to the Lord. Now take the ram, take the other ram, and have Aaron and his sons lay their hands on its head, then slaughter it, and apply some of its blood to the right earlobes of Aaron and his son. Also put it on the thumbs of their right hands and the big toes of their right feet. Splatter the rest of the blood against all sides of the altar. Then take some of the blood from the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his sons and on their garments. And this way, they and their garments will be set apart as holy. Since this is the ram for the ordination of Aaron and his sons, take the fat of the ram, including the fat of the broad tail, the fat around the eternal organs, the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat around them, along with the right thigh. Then take one round loaf of bread, one thin cake mixed with olive oil, and one wafer from the basket of bread without yeast that was placed in the Lord's presence. Put all these in the hands of Aaron and his sons to be lifted up as a special offering to the Lord. Afterward, take the various breads from their hands and burn them on the altar, along with the burnt offering. It is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. A special gift for him. Then take the bread of Aaron's ordination ram and lift it up to the Lord in the Lord's presence as the special offering to him. Then keep it as your own portion. Set aside the portions of the ordination ram that belong to Aaron and his sons. 
This includes the breast and the thigh that were lifted up before the Lord as a special offering. In the future, whenever the people of Israel lift up a peace, of all, a peace offering, a portion of it must be set aside for Aaron and his descendants. This is their permanent right, and it is sacred offering from the Israelites to the Lord. Aaron's sacred garments must be preserved for his descendants who succeed him, and they will wear them when they are anointed and ordained. The descendant who succeeds him as high priest will wear these clothes for seven days as he ministers in the tabernacle and the holy place. Take the ram used in the ordination ceremony and boil its meat in a sacred place. Then Aaron and his sons will eat this meat along with the bread in the basket at the tabernacle entrance. They alone may eat the meat and bread used for their purification in the ordination ceremony. No one else may eat them, for these things are set apart and holy. If, if any of the ordination meat or bread remains until the morning, it must be burned. It may not be eaten, for it is holy. This is how you will ordain Aaron and his sons to their offices, just as I have commanded you. The ordination ceremony will go on for seven days. Each day you must sacrifice a young bull as a sin offering to purify them, making them right with the Lord. Afterward, cleanse the altar by purifying it. Make it holy by anointing it with oil. Purify the altar and consecrate it every day for seven days. After that, the altar will be absolutely holy, and whatever touches it will become holy. These are the sacrifices you are to offer regularly on the altar. Each day, offer two lambs that are a year old, one in the morning and the other in the evening. With one of them, offer two quarts of choice flour mixed with one quart of pure oil of pressed olives. Also, offer one quart of wine as a liquid offering. Offer the other lamb in the evening along with the same offering of flour and wine as in the morning. It will be a pleasing aroma, a special gift presented to the Lord. These burnt offerings are to be made each day from generation to generation. Offer them in the Lord's presence at the tabernacle entrance. There I will meet with you and speak with you. I will meet the people of Israel there in the place made holy by my glorious presence. Yes, I will consecrate the tabernacle and the altar. I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will live among the people of Israel, and look at this, be their God. And they will know that I am the Lord their God. I am the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I could live among them. I am the Lord their God. God, you all, setting apart, consecrating these men to be his priests. Jesus is the highest priest. He is the one now who we look to. It's only through Jesus that we have relationship with God, that we can be at peace with God. But before Christ, we get this understanding that as God is, is, is moving and, and, and revealing himself in this day and age, back in those times, he set a people aside for himself. Remember God's plan. 
from Genesis to Revelation that he will have a people that he will call his own and that they will call him their God. As it was then, so it is now. But the blood that we depend upon now is not by lamb, by rams or bulls or lambs. It is the blood of Jesus. His sacrifice fulfilled all that was needed to deliver us unto the Lord, unto God himself. It's through Christ. But I love the fact how we keep seeing, you know, everything that they're doing, it's in the presence of the Lord. It is what he has laid out for them to do and how in detail it should be done in his presence. And then you also hear it, and then it pleased him, you know. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, God is pleased with Christ Jesus, his sacrifice, his obedience to the cross. But look how it ended there. Fulfilling all of this, verse 45, Then I will live among the people of Israel and be their God, and they will know. Look at this. There, there's not a shadow of doubt. They will know that I am the Lord their God. I am the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I could live among them. I am the Lord their God. Mm -hmm. There would be no doubt. God has revealed himself to mankind. God has revealed himself to his people. And yet, we will see soon that his people will continue to turn from him and keep going their way. And as it was then, so it is now. God is revealing himself time and time and time and time again. He's ministering, he's revealing, he's providing, you know, he's walking people through it, and they will testify, yes, he's God, but give it a day, give it two, give it three, and then before you know it, they're right back to their old ways. And how sad. That ought not be. We are to maintain this relationship that God has given us, not in and of our own strength, but in Christ. And so Jesus himself says we are to abide in him, to remain in him, that apart from him we can do nothing. It's not God taking stuff away from us. No, it's us stiff-arming God. It's us saying, no, you're not our God. And we're going to choose to believe this today instead of believing you today. And so then we're out on our own. But oh, God is continually revealing himself. The Holy Spirit is continually to bring conviction. But he's not going to force ourselves, nor force us, to love him. It is a choice. And no greater love is displayed than you laying your life down. To completely surrender it. And say, not my will, but your will, God. Jesus is our example. And so here we see God setting up the priesthood. We see them. We, we see this. I'm sure the scene must have been gross. Mm -hmm. With all that slaughtering taking place. But even in that visual, it can't even compare to the cross. It can't compare to what our Savior endured for you and for me. His body was ripped apart. He was, he was, they said he was not even recognizable for what he had to endure. 
and for what he went through. And this is our king. This is the one in whom we say we serve. And we ought not to lose sight of that. That he endured that, that he went to the cross. And in that, he suffered and died for us. But he was raised up on the third day. This hope that we have in Christ. That we don't have to stay enslaved to the system that's being laid out here in Exodus. Because now there's complete freedom. Because the final Lamb of God has been slain. And it's Christ himself. And so as we think upon him, so shall we live. And I've always encouraged us, as you see him is how you'll live. But remember the scriptures that we opened up with. That you are to be bearing his image, the, the very message of good news. And if you don't believe it yourself, you're not going to reflect it. And you ought to be reflecting it. No matter what your circumstances, no matter what is challenging you this day or the challenge that will come the next, no, you are to be reflecting the good news of God. You are to be declaring it. You are to be sharing it. You are to be thinking of others better than yourself. But when we are enslaved to ourselves, all we know is evil and no peace. But we all not to live that way. Jesus our, our Lord and our Savior, the sacrificial lamb, the one who came and laid himself down, took upon our punishment so that we could be reconciled back to God. Look at what it says there. God says in verse 45, Then I will live among the people of Israel, and I will be their God, and they will know that I am the Lord their God. I am the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt, so that I can live among them. I am the Lord, their God. As it is then, so it is today. Christians, the bride of Christ, we are God's people. And He is our Lord, and He is among us. He is with us. And that's how we ought to be living. We go on into chapter 30, and we're going only to verse 10. Then make another altar of, of a cacao of a, like, a cassia wood and burn incense. Make it 18 inches square and 36 inches high with horns at the corners carved from the same piece of wood as the altar itself. Overlay the top sides and horns of the altar with pure gold, gold and run a gold molding along the entire altar. Make two gold rings and attach them on opposite sides of the altar below the gold molding to hold the carrying poles. Make the poles of the cassia wood and, and overlay them with gold. Place the incense, incense altar just outside the inner curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant. In front of the Ark's cover, the place, the place of atonement that covers the tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant I will meet you there. Every morning when Aaron maintains the lamps, he must burn fragrant incense on the altar. And each evening when he lights the lamps, he must again burn incense in the Lord's presence. This must be done from generation to generation. Do not offer any unholy incense on this altar. 
or, or any burnt offering, grain offering, or liquid offerings. Once a year, Aaron must purify the altar by smearing its horns with blood from the offering made to purify the people from their sin. This will be a regular annual event from generation to generation, for this is the Lord's most holy altar. So again, we see God giving us an understanding of what it means to be set apart, to, to be in his presence. The, the sacrifice that was made in, in Christ, his body he willingly laid down, his blood was shed. And in that, through his death and through his resurrection, we have the victory. Yeah. And now, as, I, as I've been praying, as I prayed earlier, I'm praying that we would awaken to our destiny in Christ. That we would recognize the urgency of this hour. That we will live right in Christ. Abiding in him. Serving and loving. Turning from evil. Doing good seeking for peace, and working hard to maintain it. We see how great our God is here, you all. He's great. He's sovereign. He's holy. When you see what he's doing here, for the priest and the altar, everything that belongs to God is to be holy, set apart. And we see it in the New Testament. That we're called to be holy as he is holy. And do we give thought to that as we're going about our day? To be holy, to be set apart for his service. To honor him, to love him, to serve, to boldly declare the good news. To, to, to work while it's still daylight. Advancing his kingdom, preparing for his return. Oh, we all not to keep getting sidetracked with all the chaos that can come. Because it's, the chaos is only going to grow crazier. And what that chaos does, whatever that chaos is for you, for me, is it distracts us. And we ought not to be a distracted people. We ought to be a purpose people. Remember, like I said earlier, are you just wandering aimlessly or are you following? Those who wander aimlessly are distracted. But if you're following, you got your eyes set on the leader. You got them set on Christ. We are empowered with the Holy Spirit to live differently. We've got to stop making excuses. You don't see those excuses that we each of us have made and make. In the New Testament. Once the Holy Spirit came. The disciples mindset shifted. They were empowered now. Not in their own strength. But in God's strength. To accomplish. What he called them to do. And when you see the birth of the church. People's hearts. Were changed. People's lives were transformed. They willingly laid their lives down. And they were hated by those who stiff-armed God. When you think of what Christians have had to endure since the birth of the church, and yet they weren't swayed 
by their circumstances. No, they willingly laid their life down. When I think of those men that were lined up on that beach a few years ago, and ISIS beheaded all of them, the images on their face were images of peace before the sword went through their neck. And we crumble if the wind blows against us. We're so insecure about things, and then we blame God, and then we just do, we run them up. And yet then we want to say, oh, praise Jesus. No, we got to get grounded, you all. We got to get rooted in Christ. Because things are only going to get worse. And if we're not rooted in Christ, if we're not set apart, if we're not seeking and pursuing holiness, then all we have is a false sense of freedom. We're no different from the lost. We have to be different. We have to be different. We have to be odd. <laughs> People are to look at us and say there's something strange about them. That's a compliment. As long as it's Christ <laughs> that they recognize to be strange <laughs> within us. Because we're people of God. This world is not our home. We're only foreigners here. And so we must daily remember, set ourselves apart because we've been set apart in Christ. But as you see yourself, so you go. As you see him, so you go. So we ought not be a people who lose hope or give up so easily. No, we need to be a people who are persevering but people who's allowing character to be built in us. And from that are people who have hope. And our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. I was reading these reports. Uh, you know, this older man, I think he's 65 years old. He lives in a senior assisted place. And he's a retired pastor. And, he, and he's begun to have Bible studies. Well, people are angry that he's doing it. And now they're about to throw him and his wife out onto the streets. And so they have lawyers who are trying to, you know, fight for their right to be able to hold Bible studies just like any other type of, you know, group that would come in and use the community center that each of them have to pay to use. And he pays, he's doing nothing wrong, just that he calls it a Bible study. And they want him to tell them, not this, you cannot call it a Bible study. And then once they declare that to him, they came back and said, no, you can't even hold this at all because it's upsetting other residents. And I go, wow. Like, I don't know if we're really getting it, you all, the day and age in which we live. Like, people do not want to hear truth. They want to live by their own desires. And they even want to call themselves Christians. And like I was shared with you last week, we've got to stop calling people Christians who are not Christians. It's confusing people. It is confusing people. And I know everyone likes to dumb down Christianity and strip Jesus and know everyone's accepted by God. That is just not true. God loves everyone. But salvation only comes through Christ. Remember, it's because of his love he gave Jesus. 
And so we must talk about Jesus and we must share the good news about Jesus and we must tell of the good news and we must disciple people because remember Jesus' words to his disciples when he was ascending into heaven, going to all the world, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything, not just some things or what you feel comfortable with, no, everything. Baptizing them. And then I love when he says, and I am with you till the end. Like Jesus is with us. He's among us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And we've got to awaken you all to the urgency of the hour and the day. Because it's getting darker. It's getting crazier. It's getting crazier and crazier. And there's such deception that is running amok. But we as the church do not shrink back. No, we are to continue to move forward. And we're to honor God and all that we say and do. Go to Matthew chapter 26. Verse 14 through 46. The last time we met and we were doing our study walking through the Bible, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious men of the day, are plotting to kill Jesus. Did you say 13, 20, I mean 26, 13, 14? Um, 14, verse 14. Chapter 26, verse 14. Through 46. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests and asked them, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him thirty pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. I want you to think about this. Jesus knew all along who Judas was. He knew. Judas served alongside Jesus. Judas was among the, the miracles and the, the teachings. He heard it all. He witnessed it all. And yet, he missed it all. He was in it for himself, stiff-arming God. And when the opportunity came, he approached the religious people. How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking an opportunity to betray Jesus. That will not be said of us. That does not hold the characteristics of a Judas who is among the church who holds a form and yet denies God. Looking for opportunities 
for yourself instead of looking for opportunities for God to share the good news. Judas's only think of themselves, <laughs> consumed with self, and at the right opportunity will betray Jesus. And yet all along, Jesus knows. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? Jesus says, as you go into the city, he told them, you will see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says, my time has come and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal there. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the 12 disciples. It's awesome that Jesus sends his disciples in town and they say when you tell when you come to the certain man tell him the teacher says my time has come god always has provision available you all god's purpose god plans god provides you don't have to work and, and, and strive so hard in your own strength Though you must work, though you must be a faithful steward of all God has entrusted you with, your total dependence is upon God. When you depend on yourself, you're only going to run yourself ragged. But when you depend on God and you work and you're a good steward, God is going to provide. These men did as Jesus said and provision came. If we do as Jesus says, provision will come as well. But we pick back up to Judas. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve disciples. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one, Lord? I want you to pay attention to how this is going to play out. Each of them, including Judas, Am I the one, Lord? And we know all throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture, the enemy is always weaving in and trying to yoke himself to the people of God. He comes as an angel of light. A lot of times we think the enemy, you know, is the horns and the ugliness or whatever. But no, he comes as an angel of light. He looks right. I mean, even the Bible warns us that in the last days, when, when, the, when the Antichrist appears, he's going to do great miracles. He's going to deceive many. And people are going to look up to him as a God. And yet he's not God. Paul himself, as, he, as, as, as the church leaders were pleading with him not to leave, he gives this incredible speech and he tells them, among you, basically, there's wolves. <laughs> We're warned all throughout the New Testament, be careful of the wolves that are dressed like sheep. Careful. Because all they do is bring harm, destruction. And Jesus, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. 
and greatly distressed, each one asked, in turn, Am I the one, Lord? He replied, One of you who just, I'm sorry, one of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man, look at this, must die. As the scriptures declared long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays, betrays him. It would be far better for the man if he had never been born. Far better if he had never been born. Look what Jesus says there. For the Son of Man must die, as Scripture declares. Remember God's plan? God's purpose? Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, you have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it, in, it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people that is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the many sins, sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink the wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Am I the one, Rabbi? And Jesus confirms it to him. And he just not only confirms it to him, but he, he confirms it in the sitting in front of all the disciples. Because the one in which he dips the bowl, the bread into the bowl with, and they eat of it, him and Judas was a sign for all the other disciples to know it was Judas. But commentaries say that they, the disciples were so consumed with themselves and so consumed, you know, what could it be me, could it be me, that they missed what was being displayed right in front of them. And yet, even though announcing and confirming to Judas, Judas still partook and partake of the communion that was taken but all along would be quick to betray Jesus when the moment came. On the way, Jesus told them, verse 31, Tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. But Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny, deny me three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I had to die with you, I will never deny you. And all of the other disciples vowed the same. Careful. Careful. Speak up when in reality your heart is not where it should be. 
Peter was arrogant and prideful and he assumed he assumed that he knew better than scriptures Jesus said this is what scripture says and so Peter was thinking you know, I know better than scripture But Jesus reminded him, I'm going to tell you the truth. Three times you're going to deny me. Careful that, that we think highly of ourselves when we should remain humble and trust in Scripture, what Scripture says. We don't need to twist Scripture. We don't need to, you know, deny Scripture. No, we just need to live and apply Scripture. Then Jesus went, I'm sorry, then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, Jesus' words, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible that this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to his disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation, for the Spirit is willing but the body is weak. And then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the, to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Wow. God's plan. Remember, we talked about this before, that the cross was purposed even before the earth was formed. Redemption has had been planned. All along, God would have a people who he will call his own, and in return, they will call him their God, and they will live as such, holy as unto the Lord. Holy as unto the Lord. To live as unto Christ, to trust in him, to cling to him. We're seeing scripture being fulfilled. Jesus is reminding them of what scripture said it's time now for him to suffer and to die for us he accomplished what he came to do in such great distress and suffering he knew what was ahead of him if there is a way to remove it but if not not my will but your will not my will, but your will. And Judas fulfilled what Judas intended to do. 
again, he hung out with Jesus. He was part of the ministry. He witnessed the miracles. He was under such great teaching. <laughs> and yet, he never knew Jesus. He was in it only for himself. God let that not be said about us. Go to Psalm 31, verse 19. verse 19 through 24 finishing the psalm psalm 31 verse 19 through 24 how great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you you lavish it on those who come to you for protection blessing them before the watching world you hide them in the shelter of your presence safe from those who conspire against them you, sh you shelter them in your presence, far from accusing tongues. Praise the Lord, for he has shown me the wonders of his unfailing love. He kept me safe when my city was under attack. In panic, I cried out, I am cut off from the Lord. But you heard my cry for mercy and answered my call for help. Love the Lord, all you godly ones, for the Lord protects those who are loyal to him. But he harshly punishes the arrogant. So be strong and courageous, all you who put hope in the Lord. <coughs> As I've encouraged us before, go to the book of Psalms and read through them. Be encouraged. Let our lives begin to be molded as the psalmist's lives were. Molded to continually to praise our God, to look towards our God. No matter what's pressing up against us, no matter what we're having to endure, that we will look up. Because looking up is the only way out. Because if you look at your circumstances, if you look at the temporalness of life, if you're overwhelmed by it, then remember the picture of you just wandering aimlessly, just lost. But if we look up, we remember who our God is and we begin to praise him even in the midst of suffering even in the midst of being uncomfortable even in the midst of uncertainty he will see us through because he is faithful you all do you know our, your God to be faithful do you know that he is faithful and that he will see you through if we would just honor him and all that we say and do. So be strong and courageous, all of you who put your hope in the Lord. Go to Proverbs chapter 8. That's where we're closing today. Proverbs 8. Verse 14 through 26. Wisdom, you all. Oh, how we need it. Oh, how we need to search and respond to the call of wisdom. The last time we spoke um, and, and concerning Psalm, I mean Proverbs 8, I love, I just want to remind us of verse 12 and 13. I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. 
All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. Oh, how we ought to be praying daily. God, more wisdom, more knowledge, more discernment, Lord. Verse 14, common sense and success belong to me, wisdom. Insight and strength are mine. Because of me, me, kings reign and rulers make just decrees. Rulers lead with my help and nobles make righteous judgment. I love all who love me. Those who search will surely find me. I have riches and honor as well as enduring wealth and justice. My gifts are better than gold, even the purest gold. My wages better than sterling silver. I walk in righteousness and paths of justice. Those who love me inherit wealth. I will, find, I will fill their treasuries. The Lord formed me from the beginning before he created anything else. I was appointed in ages past and at the very first before the earth began. I was born before the oceans were created, before the springs bubbled forth their, from forth their waters, before the mountains were formed, before the hills I was born, before he made the earth and the fields and the first handfuls of soil. Wisdom, you all. Wisdom. Oh, that we would seek him and ask for wisdom above all. Above all, when we're challenged, are you asking for wisdom? As you're facing different circumstances and situations that are going to come up this week, are you seeking for wisdom? God, I need wisdom. I don't want to move. I don't want to speak. I don't even want to think <laughs> without wisdom, without discernment, without insight and revelation, without knowledge. Above all, God, before I ask for, for this or for that or for this or for that, no, God, get me to a place where wisdom is what I'm asking for first. Because if I don't have wisdom, then I don't have insight, I don't have knowledge, I don't have discernment, and I will not be a faithful steward. So wisdom, seek for it. Wisdom is calling. We must seek to God for, for complete fullness and understanding of this day and age in which we're living, you all. Like we just can't keep up, keep up, keep on just existing. No, we must be the people who are seeking and pursuing God, clinging to Jesus, abiding in Jesus. And people who are filled with wisdom, insight, knowledge, understanding, and discernment. So let that be our prayer this week as we go from this place. And let us honor God in all that we say and do. Amen. I'm going to close this with this last song. And I'm going to close this in prayer.
you and me.